It's a very mild slide into Wednesday. The temperature is quite nice and will remain this way for the next week or so, which is uh, looking fairly nice. Bit of fog out there this morning. People out on the highway have been texting in saying some of the highways, the condition, driving condition, not bad, but visibility isn't the best. So always good to check the highway hotline. Maybe leave yourself a little bit more time if you're out and about on the highway. Well, you know, it's, it's quite commonly said, especially if you're looking at a report or a news release or a piece of information that's coming out from a government agency, when they release it, often tells you how much they want you to know about it, right? A release that comes out when a news conference is called on a Monday morning or a Wednesday afternoon looks different than something that is released on a Friday afternoon without a news conference, right? That I mean, that's that's been standard practice, and that's happened for a long time. Well, what about if a report is quietly published only on a government website on the Friday two days before New Year's weekend? No one is told about it, right? December 29th, a report is quietly put up, because that's what happened with the federal government's What We Heard report, after holding consultations a year ago on its plan for a sustainable egg strategy. December 29th, in the afternoon, it appeared on a website. And you wonder, hmm, why did that happen? And then it leans into what the discussions are all about when we're talking about the sustainable egg strategy. And there's lots of consultation and everything involved, so helping us Pull this apart a little bit more and look at it is Tyler McCann joining us. He is the managing director for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute and joins me from his place in Quebec this morning. Tyler, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for having me on, Evan. And and as as well as being the managing director for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute, you and your wife run a farm, correct? That, that's right. Uh, we have a family farm, beef, cows, and goats in western Quebec. And have you started calving? We, we we do we're we're about uh, half halfway through our group of cows that'll calve this time of year. Busy time for sure on the farm. So I appreciate you taking the time. So the government is really struggling, I think, to to find a path forward for the strategy, which was supposed to provide a coordinated approach to improving the agriculture sector's environmental performance and sustainability. Can you break that down? Just give us a quick understanding. What is this? What is this strategy hoping to do for agriculture in Canada? I think that what the federal government is trying to do is set more of a longer-term direction and vision for where agriculture policy and where the sector is, as a whole is going in this country. You know, in agriculture, we, we run into these problems where we've got uh, this shared jurisdiction between the federal government, the provincial government. You've got this really important role for the private sector, and, and we don't do a very good job coming together and figuring out how can we all be moving in the same direction. And so I think the, the federal government set out this this objective to to come up with a, a strategy, for come, create more of that shared direction, that shared vision that looks longer term than the typical government programs, but that that would hopefully set more of that sense as to where we're going and and how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Tyler McCann, managing director for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute, who's on the committee? The uh, this work that's being done on sustainable egg strategy, who is? on the committee, different groups that make it up? So so I, I sit on the advisory committee, but there's representatives of farm groups from across the country. Grain Growers of Canada is there, the Canadian Canola Growers Association, uh, a variety of different conservation groups, uh, groups like the Canadian Pork Council, Canadian Cattlemen's Association, 
Dairy Farmers of Canada. So we all sit around this advisory committee. We meet regularly. But the federal government also went out and, and con- conducted significant uh, consultations. They got 400 responses to an online survey, uh, 100, more than 100 written submissions. And, and so they're trying to take all of this different feedback they're getting from all of these different perspectives and put it all together and guide this, this strategy development. Can you can you give us a sense from from sitting at the at the table and and there with like you've mentioned farm groups environmental groups how, how is it working is it working well are you able to come to consensus on issues I think that there's a a, a shared desire amongst the, the the people around that table to to take this as an opportunity to to set more of that that direction to try and guide the, where the federal government is going you know there's 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 certainly tension there's certainly disagreement but there's a willingness a desire to kind of roll up their sleeves and and find ways to get agreement at at the core there is this i think this shared desire that what we need to do is make farmers more environmentally sustainable build on the sustainability that they already have make them more profitable kind of grow the sector and and create more of those conditions and and it really comes down to okay if we all agree at a high level that this is what we should be doing how do you actually do that, and what do we need to change from what we're doing today? And, and I think we're all waiting to see as we get closer to the federal government actually releasing the strategy, what that's, how far they're going to go, how ambitious they're going to try and be, and, and what's that actually going to look like uh, practically for farmers across the country. Tyler McCann from the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute, my guest this morning. So this What We Heard report, which is the consultations you referred to, tell us what the report mess- messages to Canadians. You know, I think it, it not a lot of surprise surprises in it for those of us that have been around it for a long time. It talks about how they they heard how important that the strategy has an economic lens, that the strategy needs to reflect the regional differences, that that a farmer in Saskatchewan is going to have a different set of, a different context than than we do here in, in Western Quebec. That we need to look at at how do you how do you deal with those that are early adopters that are the leaders, and and ultimately how do you deal with this really big data gap that we have where we, we the reality is is that. There's still a lot that we don't understand. And so those messages are, are not necessarily new. The, the report um, does leave out some things that are that are important. The word fertilizer is not in the document. And if you've been following environmental and ag policy in Canada for the last couple of years, that has been one of the, the most contentious points out there. And it does also point to tension. So it, it acknowledges that there are strong differences around net zero and, and how firm of a commitment Canadian agriculture should be making to achieving net zero by 2050. It, it talks about um, the, the tensions around adaptation versus mitigation. So, so what should that climate change focus be? And it talks about the tensions around targets. How, how do we need to go about setting targets that are realistic and achievable and that aren't just going to create uh, concerns or, or, or increase the stress that farmers are already under if the government's setting ambitious targets that, that may not be able to, to be met. And, and I think, finally, it's important to acknowledge that it does talk about some of the challenges that we have with things like the National Inventory Report, which is used to report climate change uh, emissions. That doesn't necessarily do a very good job accurately capturing what's happening on farms across the country, and it recognizes that we need to go further to, to really improve how agriculture is modeled in, in the National Inventory once we get to where we need to on this sustainable ag strategy, what will it mean for for farmers, for agriculture in Canada, and and I guess selfishly and particularly here in Saskatchewan? I think 
it has the potential to mean a lot of good things. I mean, if you look at some of the interviews you've done over the last week with with Curtis Posniak or Stephen Webb, like the things that they're talking about as Saskatchewan issues are really um, can be grounded in a sustainability strategy. That that rec- the recognition of plant breeders, the important work that Curtis and his team are doing, the the math that, that Steve and his team have done at Gifts around how carbon intensive that that carbon intensity advantage that Saskatchewan farmers have, but those are good things and, and hopefully will be will form the foundation of, of what the strategy says. But if you look at building that value chain, if you look at uh, the companies like Nutrien, the, the, the investments in canola crush capacity, you know, these are all being done because of sustainability. And so hopefully what the report and what the strategy will do at the end of the day is say, look, we have these strengths. We need to grow. We need to recognize we have an advantage today, but that advantage is under pressure. So, so what can we do to to, to build it, to maintain that, and, and how can we go further to, to turn sustainability into a tool that helps improve the profitability of farmers. And, and I think we often uh, can get caught up in the fact that, that those two things may not go together, but they can. Improving fertilizer efficiency for farmers has the benefit of reducing fertilizer emissions, but it also usually has the advantage of improving farmer profitability. And so we need to do a better job, and hopefully the strategy does a better job of linking those two things together. Tyler McCann, my guest this morning, Managing Director for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. I, I, I'm feeling your enthusiasm for this work, Tyler. Am I seeing snakes when I speculate on the, the release date and timing of this What We Heard report? Well, and, and Evan, it's important to say that there's what I think that the final strategy should be uh, may not be what the final strategy is at the end mm-hmm. of the day. And, yeah. and, and I, I do think that when you see a report coming out the Friday before New Year's Eve that does speak to where the federal government sees agriculture and food and where the federal government sees this, the sustainable ag strategy, I think that they should be leaning into this as a good thing, but they've really mismanaged a lot of these issues if you go back to that fertilizer target over the last couple of years and and so maybe it's a sign that they're they're backing away from it as as we look into a to an election and I think their desire to try and take the tension down this may all be playing into it together. Well, that's kind of where I was going to go next Tyler is, you know, we we are now clearly looking at an election whether it's 2025 or sooner. Um heaven forbid later, but let's hope not. At, at the end of the day, I I can't help but think there's a lot of priorities and is this one the one that they're going to include in a platform. And even now with a new Minister of Agriculture uh, on the national level, is that going to be a factor in this? It, it, it certainly seems like it's taking some of the pressure off. The former Minister, Minister Bebo, really wanted to make this a priority. But again, it was creating some tension and conflict, and so the new minister seems to want to take the pressure down. But I think any political party should be recognizing how strategic of an issue Canadian agriculture is, how it is a strategic sector that that can grow the economy, that can improve our sustainability, that can be a geopolitical tool. And so I, I would hope every party as they're thinking about where we're going in the next election is thinking about how can we really embrace agriculture and food as that strategic sector and what are the policies that we need to put in place to, to grow it and, and to, to encourage that, that sustainable prosperity. And, and again, I think that, that there is a way to do sustainability and prosperity together. I think that those two are things are really linked when it comes to agriculture and food and it's just a matter of how the parties can pull that together. Tyler, before I let you go and and kind of off the topic of of this report and the sustainable ag strategy, I'm curious from your seat, 
there's a lot going on right now with agriculture in Canada. Everything from the debate of how carbon tax is affecting the bottom line of, of farmers to even just supply in the world with wars going on that are limiting supplies and the ability to get commodities from certain countries. What do you see for, for Canadian agriculture in 2024? You know, I, I see a year that where where risk is going to become the new norm. We, again, we've got a lot of you talked about some of those policies. You've got geopolitics. We've got extreme weather. All all of these things playing out. And and I think the think hopefully what it what we start to see is how can we take a more thoughtful approach to what those risks are. What does the risk management mean for farmers on their farm? But but as a sector, how do how do we do it? Because you know these 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 risks are getting worse. The volatility is getting worse. That has you know that upside advantage where we see crop prices going higher, but we see input costs kind of all over the place, and, and we need to be more thoughtful around how we're thinking about what that means and, and what that means for growth in the sector. And we and we talk on the show often about how farmers, they all they can do is absorb any of these fluctuations in the amount of money that they make. So their bottom line is going to be their bottom line. Their input costs don't change. Any of these factors that affect really affect their bottom line. That, that's that's right, and and it does. You know, we sometimes can fall into this this trap thinking about agriculture is is special. We do play this really important role as a sector that that provides food security, but it really is very unique and it is very different. And we've got two hundred thousand businesses across the country that are that are producing food that are the stewards of the land that need to be involved. This isn't like um, you know the automotive sector when you're talking about you know a half dozen companies and the governments can come in and, and make plans. We need to be more thoughtful about how we approach the sector and, and the, the factors, the stresses, the risks that, that these businesses are facing. Tyler, thanks so much for your time. It's been a great chat today. Thank you for having me on. Tyler McCann, Managing Director for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute from Quebec this morning, right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Well, we're only one hour into the show. We've already had some great conversations. Again, I appreciate having... Chris Barber joined me off the starts. We were talking about the fact that yesterday a federal judge found the Liberal government's use of the Emergencies Act to clear the Freedom Convoy protesters was unreasonable, unjustified, and violated the Charter. And a lot of you are texting in to weigh in on this topic, and it 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 shows there's people are are on a few different I would say platforms when it comes to this. A lot of people, and I, I'm right there with you. The use of the Emergencies Act was, was inappropriate in this case. I'm not shocked at that court ruling yesterday when this happened. Uh, and of course I was in my old job at the time. It really felt like the, you know, when you're going to invoke the Emergencies Act, you've basically done, you've exhausted every other possibility. There's no way that they can prove that. And clearly, that's what the federal court found. So it'll be curious to know. Krista Freeland has already said they're going to appeal it. It'll be curious to me. I, I can't help but think this will be upheld. The decision will be, will be not changed as this goes into appeal and potentially all the way to the Supreme Court. But, uh, lots of you weighing in this morning on the text line saying, absolutely not. Using the replacement, this is Phil from Prince Albert, using the replacement of the War Measures Act for annoying a minority of the citizens in Ottawa, having what the Liberals deemed unacceptable ideas is a stretch. It just makes it more silly if they appeal it, says Phil. I'm, I, I yeah, I mean, it's to me the appeal. <laughs> Trudeau government doesn't have a good uh, track record when we're looking at court cases. The pipeline uh, court case overturned. 
the plastics ban um, overturned, or at least uh, part of it was carved out and said, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. It's too broad. You've got to narrow it down. And now this. So that's three pretty significant court cases that we've seen the Trudeau government have their hands slapped because of stepping on the Constitution, which is foundational for this. It is kind of funny to me. I, I have to say it is kind of funny to me that we have a group of, of truckers, because don't forget, I mean, the, the convoy that went to Ottawa, it ended up being very broad. But in its inception, it was a protest on the COVID vaccination policies that were going to prohibit truckers from going across the U.S. border. That's part of their livelihood, supply chain issues and whatever. And that's that's how the protest started. So the fact that really it started out as a group of truckers and they're high-fiving yesterday the Civil Liberties Association, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. I, I mean, I don't think those two are normally bedfellows, but in this case... They clearly both were after the same thing and, and got the same thing. So, but a lot of people are, are texting in, weighing in on, you know, the possibility of Chris Barber and Tamara Leach being found guilty, which, as I talked about earlier this morning, I, I have a tough time thinking they're going to be found guilty of those criminal offenses. They're being charged with mischief, being charged with obstructing police and counseling others to commit those offenses. The, the evidence that uh, watching it from an outsider like like you are as well and watching the court proceedings and how this plays out, they're relying a lot on social media messaging, which I think it's going to be tough to be able to prove that those two had direct control over it. Now, was it inevitable that thousands of truckers in downtown Ottawa would be cleared out by police or some means? Absolutely. There's no way that they were going to be to be left there. They were protesting as Hundreds of protesters do each and every year. It was a bit more spectacular given the amount of big vehicles in that downtown area. But at the end of the day, the fact that the use of the Emergencies Act was ruled as unconstitutional is something that I think a lot of us thought, yeah, we, we saw this coming. We'll be talking more about this and, and more with uh, Dwight Newman, too, later uh, this morning, the constitutional law professor at the University of Saskatchewan, his thoughts on this as well. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.